This is the PR Pod, the podcast that brings you expert tips for working in PR and finding your niche. With your host, Brooke Burns. Welcome to the PR Pod, the essential podcast for emerging public relations professionals. My guest for this episode is Julie Jarrett, Communications Director for Cathay Pacific Airways in the Americas. Julie joined me a little while ago for a sector specialist chat on aviation PR, which I highly recommend you go back and listen to once you finish this episode. It gives you a great insight into what it's like to work for an airline. For this episode, Julie joins me to discuss managing the domestic PR for an international brand, something she's had a lot of experience with since working with Cathay Pacific. Julie, welcome back to the PR Pod. Thank you, Brooke. Thanks for having me back. You're welcome. So why do international brands require domestic PR representation in different countries or regions? If you're a truly global brand, you really want to have a PR team that represents the various different regions. So, for example, I oversee the Americas PR. That includes um, U.S., Canada, Latin America, South America. Um, You know, there's representation in Europe, in Southwest Pacific, and so on. And so I think what it does is it enables the global company to have a truly global representation. And if you don't have representation in domestic markets or you don't have teams that are responsible, I guess, for for sections of the market, what are the challenges with that, do you feel, if it all comes out of one head office that's based wherever it may be? Well, if you're looking at it truly through a PR lens, then I think you're at a disadvantage on a media relations side. So if there's a reporter in the US who needs a quick comment, who needs a photograph, they don't necessarily want or need to be reaching out to Cathay Pacific's head office in Hong Kong when they can have um, a local contact here in the US in me. Um, So I think it also, it just allows me to have that local relationship with media and I'm able to represent the brand on a more regional level and, um, you know, tailor the message that the company is putting out um, for a local audience and local consumption. And I think that is um, part of the necessity of having a domestic PR for any kind of international brand is that they need someone to be an expert or specialist in that particular market because how that brand is consumed all over the world may be slightly different. People may have slightly different relationships with the brand, positively, negatively. They may consume products in a different way. The demographic of who consumes those products or those services may be different to each market. So they really, I guess, reliant on those domestic teams to have a really solid understanding of that brand and that market. When you joined Cathay Pacific, how did you come up to speed on Cathay, a brand you hadn't necessarily worked with before. I'm sure, like most of us, you would have been aware of it. But how did you bring yourself up to speed? Yeah, I was certainly familiar with Cathay Pacific as a brand, but I had never even been to Asia. So for me, it was a fairly steep and, you know, a little bit daunting learning curve. But I just really immersed myself from day one. Um, I made a trip to Hong Kong to meet the head office team within my first kind of four weeks on the job, I think. Um, 
I also just really immersed myself in getting to know about aviation. I was not an aviation specialist, as you know from our prior um, podcast, but um, it's also a question of getting to know all the team members and the players and who is going to be um, someone that's going to be able to be a resource for me and answer those maybe silly questions that I have. Um, And I also did kind of a tour around our local network here in the Americas, going up to Vancouver, meeting the airport team there, meeting, you know, counterparts um, in New York, meeting the sales team in Chicago and so on, and just really getting to know the major players and how they all connected together. And I think for a global company like Cathay Pacific, it's always helpful, of course, to have a great relationship with your home office, no matter where they might be. So I have had a good relationship with my counterparts and head office now for almost nine years. And, you know, there have been some changes, of course, over the years. But for the most part, I still know many of the same people who were there nine years ago when I started. So if there is someone that's listening to this podcast that is about to start either a junior or more senior position, um, and I guess it could be in an agency where they're now taking on a new client, which is, you know, uh, an international brand, or they are working in-house, what recommendations would you have to start that process of becoming acquainted with a brand? Ask as many questions as you feel necessary to get to grips with your new role. And if that means asking a few dumb questions along the way, then that's okay. Just, you know, put yourself out there, be a little bit vulnerable. I think that people are always willing to help if you just put your hand up and say, I'm really sorry, I'm not an expert. Can you tell me how this works? Can you tell me why we do X, Y, and Z? And, you know, people are generally very helpful and they really want to provide their insight and mentorship to um, younger team members. Mm. I think also, I guess, getting a um, reviewing back over previous media coverage that has run. So you've got an understanding of media outlets or specific journalists that may be, uh, that may look at that brand favorably or may not like it for whatever reason and try and get acquainted with where your brand may sit um, in the market from the perception of media because how media presume a brand, uh, how media, um, perceive a brand may be quite different to the consumer and you need to understand I guess who your allies are and who the people are that you may need to spend a little bit of time bringing back on board to be an ally um, and that can take some time can't it to, to go through that process of, of trying to understand who those key journalists and media outlets are. Absolutely. And for something as niche as aviation, there are a lot of kind of niche aviation reporters and outlets and bloggers. Um, So for me, it was a question of really getting the lay of the land. And and luckily, I do work for a brand which has pretty high um, brand visibility and recognition. Um, So it wasn't a question of educating people on who we were as a brand. It was more a question of introducing myself. And as you say, just sort of figuring out what coverage we've seen in the past and, you know, whether it's positive, negative, how can I, um, you know, how can I better build relationships with particular media who we maybe have not um, worked with before and things like that. 
In terms of approaching these journalists, do you recall whether your strategy was to just reach out and say, hey, I'm in this new position, or did you wait until you had some kind of relevant information so there was a meaningful reason to get in touch with them? Because I know um, especially lots of uh, emerging PR professionals at the start of their careers are kind of caught in this balance of do I touch base and introduce myself when I've got really nothing particularly important to share or do I wait till there's a time and use that? What was? Do you recall what your approach was? I do. I remember it very well, actually. I started reaching out to people right away because I wanted them to have that name recognition with me and I wanted to start building my own brand, so to speak, as the communications representative for Cathay Pacific in the Americas. And I did that, you know, by making a few phone calls as you and I discussed (laughs) on our previous podcast. You know, we come from the tradition of, you know, cold calling media. So there were a few phone calls, um, but certainly plenty of emails sent around as well, just to introduce myself. Um, You know, I was quite lucky in that my predecessor in my role was very well known in the industry. So I would sort of introduce myself as, hey, I am following, um, you know, I've taken up this new role. Um, So I got a pretty high response rate of people welcoming me to, um, you know, to Cathay Pacific, to the world of aviation. It even led to a couple of, um, of reporter meetings. I remember there was one aviation reporter for the Associated Press, the AP, who said, oh, well, actually, I'm going to be in San Francisco next month. Can we meet for a coffee? So I did not wait until I had news to share because my line of thinking was, if I can just start building those relationships now, then when I have news to share in two weeks or a month or with PR, you never know when that might be, then I want to already have somewhat of a relationship built with this person. Mm, Yeah, that makes total sense. Did you spend much time looking into who the competitors were for Cathay Pacific in terms of, I guess, trying to understand – from a, from a market perspective, where they sat, and not necessarily in a scale of who is better or worse, but who are the, um, the um, I guess, the, the brands that we need to keep an eye on? Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I certainly spent a lot of time looking into competitors and the competitor landscape and aviation and travel are such that, um, you know, things change a lot. So there have been newcomers into the market and some have already come and gone in the nine years that I've been in my role. So I think, um, yes, while I definitely spent a lot of time getting up to speed in those first few months, it's, it's not something that you can ever really stop, right? It's like, because things are constantly changing and the market is constantly changing, um, and demand is constantly changing. I do still try to keep a pretty good eye on the landscape of, of competitors. When it comes to creating a strategy or plan, is that um, an, an annual thing that you do at Cathay? Um, do you kind of have an overarching, uh, I guess, general set of goals and objectives you're trying to reach? Yes. 
So I would say that there's definitely kind of an annual overarching strategy and plan, but I try not to paint myself into a corner too much because if you put all your plans into place in say November, December for the following year, then it doesn't allow you the flexibility to be agile and move according to, you know, changing markets and things. Take 2020 as a perfect example, right? So of course I had my bare bones of a PR plan in Q4 of 2019 for what I thought 2020 was going to look like, but I didn't have it drilled down to such minutia that um, it was so prescriptive that I couldn't change. So obviously 2020 was just a horrible year for everybody. Um, travel and aviation were hit very, very hard. So I always like to leave room for maneuvering and changes and you know so I'm a fan of having kind of a, a general annual plan and then revisiting that on a quarterly or even a monthly basis to adapt and adjust to the changing market conditions. And for those I guess who are in more senior roles that are taking on um, the I guess domestic responsibilities for an international brand because as a junior you wouldn't necessarily be um required to create strategies but for those more senior roles what kind of elements do you think are important to keep in mind when you're plotting out what those goals may be for a year and obviously every brand is different in terms of what they want to achieve and who their target market is so I guess without being specific about it what kind of things do you keep in mind for when you're thinking about what you want to achieve over the next year yeah I mean a couple of things um like for me personally, I strike a balance between getting, um, you know, the overall brand and comms priorities from head office. I dovetail my plans very closely with the local marketing team. So I would just say like, try not to, again, I use the expression, paint yourself into a corner, but again, you really want to make sure that you're integrating with other teams and not just looking at PR in a vacuum. PR should be part of the greater sales strategy, should be part of the greater marketing strategy. So as much as possible, I try to understand the objectives of the entire brand and speak to, you know, my counterparts across other teams to make sure we're all singing from the same hymn sheet. I imagine, I mean, when, especially when it comes from a head office with an international brand, the the general directives would be very similar for every market, but the tactics and how they may be implemented may be quite different for some of the reasons we've already talked about in terms of how that brand is consumed or perceived in that market. Do you think that's a fair comment? Absolutely. And I think I'll take, you know, my own market as an example. So for US and Canada, um, a trip to Asia is quite a big deal, you know, because all of Cathay's flights go from North America to Hong Kong and then onwards throughout Asia, Southwest Pacific, um, India. So we are going to be marketing Cathay Pacific very, very differently here than to what, say, my counterparts in Thailand might be doing, where they're just focused on, um, you know, flights between Thailand and Hong Kong, and then from Hong Kong onwards to say Japan. So mm. it's, um, it's a very different animal in each different market. So when you are 
adapting, I guess, a global campaign or, or you have been given global directives and you are creating, whether it's an annual campaign or something a little bit specific, what do you have to keep in mind? Or, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm referring not specifically to Cathay Pacific, but in general for a brand, when you're trying to adapt something to a domestic market, what kind of elements do you need to consider? I think you really have to figure out what's going to resonate in your market. And I think you also have to have the confidence to push back on your head office team if needed, because you are the local subject matter expert and you generally, as the local PR representative, have a pretty good pulse on what works and wasn't, what doesn't work in your own market. So I think you just need to have that confidence to be able to um, not only understand what works locally, but to be able to, um, if you need to convince others that you believe that you have the best way. Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine that's uh, a lot more challenging to do when you're first starting off in a role versus if you've been in it for nine years, like you have, you've got the the history and the experience with that particular brand. Um, but I imagine that's quite daunting when you're, when you're in the first six months or year of a role and you're pushing back. It can be. And I think that's what, when it goes back to um, what I said about, you know, finding allies and, and meeting everyone on the team, because if you have a supportive team structure within your local region, then they will support you if you do need to push back. So what do you think are the biggest challenges when, I guess, creating a domestic PR strategy? I imagine, um, and again, this is for any brand, timings may be quite challenging in if a decision is made by head office and they want to implement something within a couple of weeks and then you're trying to pull together something quite quickly and that's obviously not um, specific to this kind of um, structure of a company this is with anything you could be in a PR agency you get a brand new client on you've only got you know a couple of weeks to turn around one what other challenges are there in terms of repurposing a campaign or creating campaign for a domestic market I mean, I think this is a very basic thing, but things like time zones and mm. the approval process of going back and forth can be quite challenging because, you know, it's literally like a, a day to hear back sometimes and then you sort of ping pong things back and forth and it, it can take some time. So I think you just need to be a little bit patient um, and, you know, just have those expectations managed um, on both sides of the pond from your, your local, um, management team and then your head office management team, um, mm-hmm. and, and really having those advocates in place that I mentioned and, yeah. um, and making sure that everybody is in hundred percent agreement of what the outcomes are expected to be. Mm-hmm. And imagine also reporting as well when it comes to those outcomes. Um, again, it's not specific to uh, an in-house role where you are the domestic representative. Um, but I guess you've got you to keep in mind there's a lot of reporting. You've got to report to your local team and then that has to be fed back into the international team. Um, so I imagine that side of things is quite admin heavy. It is. And then another thing I will say in terms of you know, how to plan for um, a local campaign is just knowing that the media in every market is a little bit different and educating those 
you know, either at your head office or whether it's your local boss, like, hey, this is how the media works here in Canada. This is how the U.S. media works, and it's not the same as how it works in other parts of the world, mm. and let me tell you why. And just making sure that you're very clear on what can and cannot be done by media in certain parts of the world. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I can imagine maybe in some markets, they may be really, um, the TV stations may be really open to covering something um, on broadcast. And then in other markets, that just doesn't fly at all. And, you know, if there's global expectations that everyone's going to be getting broadcast coverage on whatever it may be, on breakfast or morning news, or just as a news item um, in the evening news, then those expectations have to be um, put into, I guess, context of, of what actually is achievable. Exactly. And I think it's also kind of having a baseline for what PR is, because it means different things, even in different regions. PR in some parts of the world has more advertising incorporated mm. into it. Whereas I think, you know, Australia, New Zealand, probably North America, and most parts of Europe, it's, it's very, um, I would say more traditional and very separate from advertising and promotions. Um, but in some parts of the world, those l lines are blurred. So I think just making sure that everybody understands that. Mm. In terms of your campaigns, you mentioned that obviously, especially with a brand like Cathay, where, you know, you might be based in one region and how Cathay, um, where the flights go to and from there is quite different to how another region has Cathay coming through. Um, in terms of your campaigns, do you chat between colleagues and talk about something that's working in one mark and you might want to keep it in your in mind in your market or really are your goals and objectives quite separate in each of the markets that there's, there isn't really um, the need or um, uh, it just doesn't really make sense to kind of collaborate from on those specific tactic side of things? Yeah, it's an interesting question because sometimes it does make sense and, and other times less so. So I certainly have my go-to people throughout the Cafe Pacific network that we sync up from time to time. And I would say that for, uh, for the U.S., a market like the U.K. is probably more similar to what I'm doing than, say, some of my um, counterparts in the Asian markets like Thailand or Vietnam. So um, we certainly share notes among us um, when it makes sense. And, you know, for those markets that are quite similar, I think we, um, we probably share notes even more. So I guess to wrap up, um, just to go over uh, some of the key ways, I guess, to make your mark if you are taking on a, a domestic PR representative role, um, it's really about trying to embed yourself into the, into the company to make sure you've got those, those contacts and those allies within the company, but also then obviously trying to, uh, not trying to, starting to... Um, put your name out there so you've got that record your name has that recognition within the industry what are your other key tips for um, those who are starting brand new roles whether they're junior or senior network like crazy um, and I think people hear networking and they think external networking and networking mm. you business know, going, events going to business events and passing out business cards I'm talking internal networking with your internal stakeholders, the people who are going to help you do your job well. 
and you may not even know at the outset who those players are. So it's only by talking to people and meeting people that you can really find out who those key players are. So again, I, I think I said at the beginning, ask a lot of questions. Just don't be afraid to ask those questions. Um, and you know, when you're having one-to-ones with people when you first start out in your job, ask them, who else do you think I should meet with? What other mm. questions do you think I should be asking? We all have blind spots. That's human nature. Um, but if you're open and keep asking those open-ended questions, then I think you will be able to find a network of allies and ambassadors who are going to help you be successful. I think also ask the question in regards to any nuances about that brand you should be aware of. I know certainly in hospitality, some clients don't want certain words used in relation to their brand. And, you know, I might look at that word and think there is nothing wrong with that and it makes perfect sense. But for whatever reason, they just don't like it. So I think understanding what um, what are the musts and must nots when it comes to your brand are really important as well. Absolutely. And some of those things you might find out by accident. But again, if you're asking the right people the right questions, then you should be able to dig into that from the get go. I guess one of the challenges that people may face when they start a new role, again, especially if it's a more senior role, is you may uh, start somewhere that uh, either has an existing strategy that you need to continue with and you may not agree with that because you don't believe it, it meets the goals or objectives. Or on the flip side, you may start somewhere that, and you're the first person in that role or perhaps they haven't had someone in that role for a long time. How, how do you start to navigate those situations, do you think? Yeah, that's a tricky one because you generally don't have a choice when you join in a new role, whether there's an existing strategy or whether it's up to you to start from scratch or maybe a little bit of both. Um, what I will say, though, is that um, in a local PR role for a global company, depending on the company, of course, I think that you also need to remember that you are not the um, strategy setter on a global level. Your job is to take a global strategy and interpret it for your local market. And that can be a delicate balance. So whether that strategy is already there from a predecessor or whether it's not, um, could go either way. But I think you always have to remember that it is your job to be the local representation. And I guess it's about establishing the fact that, um, maybe not establishing, it's about having the confidence that they have employed you to do a particular role and you would like to hope they have trust and respect in your decisions and opinions. And, you know, obviously that is not always the case and sometimes there's lots of micromanaging involved. But um, I think if you go in with that mindset that within reason in this domestic market, I am able to... um, to, to make changes or if I think changes need to be made then to put your hand up and say this is not going to achieve the goals that you ha- you had hoped they would and these are the reasons why this is how I feel this needs to be adapted over the next couple of months or we need to keep this in mind for the next you know for the next annual review and strategy planning session 
That's right. I think that there also has to be that mutual respect between, like you say, the mm. the home office team and the local team. Um, that's the only way it can work. Um, yeah. You know, the home office team um, needs to have that um, respect for the local PR representative and they need to provide support as and when needed. And, and likewise, I think that the... Um, you know, the regional PR person needs to act as a resource for their home office team and um, and respect that in many cases they do have final say. Mm. And that respect also has to be earned on, you know, from both directions. You know, you may be stepping into the shoes of someone who did not do a particularly good job previously. And so head office or even the local, you know, team that, that that person was in uh, may have had very poor results come out of that person or come out of that PR or comms team. And it's going to take a while to rebuild that trust and respect in that this new person, you now um, are able to take this in a positive direction. And yeah, so I guess you've just got to be mindful that these things can take time. 100%. Yeah, you need to work at it. And um, again, it's uh, the networking thing. You have to network with your counterparts. Yeah. And I guess it comes down to results as well, doesn't it? You know, if, you, if you're getting the results that people want, then that's a, a massive tick. That's right. All the time. Mm. I think that's a great place to end the chat. Thank you so much for your time today, Julie. Thanks so much for hosting me, Brooke. It's been great fun. And if you're listening to the podcast on Apple or iTunes, I'd really appreciate you spending a few seconds heading back and giving the PR pod a rating and review. Thanks for listening to the PR pod. For more expert tips on working in PR, head to www.theprpod.com.